Folks, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing our way through the book of uh, Matthew. And next week, uh, we're going to be taking a break because Ken Needham will be here with us and he's going to be speaking next week. So we're kind of excited to have him back. And uh, so uh, be sure you're here next week to hear Ken. He always has some great tidbits from God's Word. and has a great way of presenting, presenting it. But as we uh, look at our text this morning, you know, up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount now for weeks, and, and we've looked at a, a lot of different things, and mainly it's been the spiritual character. And last week we started to uh, basically a series of messages to deal with the more, um, not so much the vertical relationship that we have with God, but the more horizontal relationship we have with each other and with the world in which we live. And so up to this point, Jesus has mainly been speaking about the the relationship his disciples are to have with him. And so it's been purely vertical. But he doesn't want us to forget that we live in a material earth. We live down here where things around us um, just kind of close in and and we always got to, you know, get the latest and greatest, whatever it is. And, and, And he wants us to see how best to deal with the different aspects of life here on a horizontal plane. And so last week, we looked at how we should handle uh, what we might call luxuries, not the necessities, but luxuries. And we looked at verses 19 to 24, and we saw three things. We saw two kinds of riches. We saw earthly riches, which are prone to moth and rust and destroy and and, uh, are corruptible. And we saw heavenly riches, which are neither of those. And so we had to make a contrast there between those two. And Jesus constantly says, don't lay up treasure for yourself here on earth but lay up treasure for yourself in heaven because it just makes sense and then we looked at a warning about two kinds of hearts talking about the eye as the eye gate to the heart and one that's focused on material goods down here or are we going to have a christ-centered heart that's focused on things above and then finally in verse 24 we looked at basically there's two masters you can't serve god and money at the same time And there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with God blesses you in that way. That's fine. But it's it's one thing to have money. It's another thing for the money to have you. And what he's talking about here is you can only serve one master. And that master, as Christians, should be God. It shouldn't have anything to do with what's going on down here on earth. And so you have to choose between the two treasuries, one on earth, one on heaven, uh, the two kind of hearts that you want, and ultimately, which master are you going to serve? Because Jesus says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, what? That's where your heart is. So what are you focusing on? And we looked last week at verses 19 to 24, and I want to read for us this morning verses 25 through basically 34, the end of the, the chapter here. And so you can just follow along as, we, as I read this for you, uh, beginning in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or about your body, what you should put on. Is not life more than food and the body, more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit 
to his stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not more, much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, this morning, as we begin this subject of worry, of anxiety, a biblical antidote for anxiety. Anxiety is something that is so uh, evident in our society today. It touches every one of our lives in some form, in some fashion. And that word anxiety or worry there, it appears basically four times there in this section that we just read. Be not worried. Do not worry. And so the theme is, is what are you worrying about? That's kind of what Jesus wants these people that he's speaking with to understand. The Lord is calling us to cease from worrying, to cease from having anxiety. I mean, all of us, clearly, worry is a part of our life to some degree. But for some people, it's a favorite pastime. It occupies their thinking a majority of the day. And worry can be a very dangerous thing. Doctors tell us this. It takes a toll on people after a while. And far beyond even the the physiological effects to our body or the psychological effects to our mind, worry for a Christian is really sin. That's what it is. It's really sin. It's really looking at God's word and saying, well, God, I know that you say that you will care for us and I know that you'll provide for us, but what if you don't? It's the doubting of God's word. It's basically saying, you know what? I know what you mean, but I just don't know if you can pull it off, God. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and the providences of God. And yet we do it all the time. All of us. Someone said worry is interest paid on trouble before it's due. (laughs) Someone else wrote, worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. William Ward put it this way, worry is faith in the negative, trust in the unpleasant, assurance of disaster and belief in defeat. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunity with yesterday's troubles. The other day, I think it was Friday, I got up early and I drove over to the coffee shop. And by the time I was over like quarter six or whatever and got my coffee and everything, and you know, maybe it was Saturday, I can't remember. But by the time I was done in the coffee shop, about an hour or so, I looked outside and I couldn't even see barely my car in the parking lot. 
because of the fog. It was so thick. It was just amazing. It was like my car was parked right there. But this fog had come in, as it usually does in our area, and it just, it just blinded everything. I remember one time I was up, I'm Jerry, I don't know if you remember this, I was up visiting Jerry Rukob up in, uh, near John Daly Drive there, and I don't know if it was late afternoon or night or whatever, but when I got in my car to leave, it was foggy. And I have a pretty good sense of direction. I just do. I just kind of built into me. And, and I remember getting on John, I guess, Daly Drive and going south, and I couldn't see the hood of my car. That's how foggy it was. It was just crazy. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll get down off of this, and, you know, and it won't be so foggy. I remember driving for probably like an hour and a half. I had the slightest idea where I was. I mean, I know I turned left and it got off skyline somewhere. And, and, you know, Jerry just said, well, go down until you see the freeway. I couldn't see anything. I mean, I'm looking for the little white line. And it was the worst feeling, this fog. I just couldn't see through it. And yet, a lot of times, that's what worry does. We we worry about simple things. Someone did a a study and they said, you know what? Uh, You can cover seven city block area. 100 feet deep, composed of nothing more than a glass of water broken up into basically 60,000 little million drops <laughs> called fog. Eight ounce glass of water. It can cripple a city. And yet you can wave your hand right through it. It doesn't seem like anything. That's what worry does. Worry has the potential to just cripple us. That English word worry comes from an old German word, vergen, and it means to choke or to strangle. And worry can get to the point in your life where it really has the idea that it's mentally strangling you. It's harassing you from the anxiety. And worry is simply an expression of our own sinfulness, our own unwillingness to trust God. But what he's doing here is last week we dealt with the luxuries of life, hoarding up everything. Well, today he, Jesus turns his attention to, excuse me, the basics of life, the very essentials of life. Um, and you know what? It's not so much different than wealthy people. Do you think wealthy people worry? Yeah, they do. They worry they could lose what they have. See, it doesn't matter whether you're worthy, wealthy or whether you're rich. You're still prone to worry. The wealthy man is, is worried that he will, will lose everything. So what's he do? Well, 1924 it says he hoards it. He stacks it up and just puts it away because he's afraid Rather than investing it in God's kingdom, he's afraid that one day maybe he would have to tap into that. He's not trusting in the provision of God. Now, we're not saying that you shouldn't have a plan, that there's nothing wrong with planning, things like that, being good stewardship of what God's trusted, entrusted to you. But this is to a, a, a level that's beyond that. But here in verses 25 and so forth, I think he's talking not necessarily to the rich people, although it applies to them, because they're definitely prone to worry. But I think he's addressing this maybe to the poor people who don't have all the luxuries that he just dealt with when he talked about the rich people. 
He's talking about the people that don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They're worried about the basics. And you know what? If you want to legitimize worry, well then, you know what? Just say, well, I'm not going to worry about the luxuries of life. I'm just going to worry about the necessities of life. I mean, are you telling me that if I didn't know where my next meal was coming from, that it would be a sin for me to worry? But that's forbidden for the Christian because the Bible says it's sinful and it's foolish. There's no reason for us to worry about the basic essentials, the basic commodities of life because, you know what, that's what the Lord specializes in. That's what He promises that He will meet. And as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, through the Gospels and through the Epistles, one thing you learn is that God does not want His children preoccupied with the mundane things of this earth. Things that are just going to pass away. So he says, you know what? Don't worry about those things. I'll take care of you. Focus on other things that are eternal. He wants us to set our affection not on the things on the earth, but what? On things above. He wants us to lay up our treasure in heaven and to seek first the kingdom of God. In order to do that, he says, you you have to be free from worrying about the basics. You can't be sitting around worrying about the basics, not trusting that I'm going to provide them for you and expect to have a a mindset that's setting your affection on things above. It's not going to work that way. The basic spiritual principle of of our spiritual lives is that, you know what? This is not our home. (laughs) This isn't all there is. We, We have a home that's, this is just kind of a temporary holding tank for us. I mean, imagine yourself going to the beach and renting a cottage there. And you're there for three days. And you go in and you say, oh, wow, look, that wall needs painted. Would you paint it? No. You're just staying there. Oh, look at these rugs. They could be replaced. You wouldn't replace them. Why? Because it's a temporary place. You're only there for two or three days. Or one time we went up to Washington State and visited my nephew and took the kids and their kids and everything. And we went to this place. I mean, what was it called? Levensworth sounds like a prison. It almost was. My wife loves the place, but I just I, I I couldn't see the wisdom in it. But it's like this little town up in the mountains, and it's pretty. I mean, granted, I mean, up in Washington State, it's very pretty. But um, you know, I remember we got this hotel, and we kind of got this. It's kind of like a condo, kind of a house, kind of a thing. And and we got this hotel, and we got there, and you know. First thing Crystal did is she went in and started inspecting things. And she's like, we can't stay here. This is bad. And uh, we ended up staying there because there's nowhere else to stay. But I remember thinking, ah, this is, I just, you know, I can't settle down here. I don't, I don't, this isn't home. I don't even feel like this is a nice hotel that, you know, we can enjoy. And, you know, we may do with it. But see, there's something about when you know that you only have to endure it for a little while, then you can deal with it. But see, sometimes we think that this earth is our permanent home. That somehow we got to make everything better here. Well, that's not the way it's going to work. And so what he's pointing out here is don't worry about the basics. I'll take care of that. And, you know, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, it doesn't matter. You can all worry. Rich people worry about what will happen in the future. They won't have enough resources, so they stockpile it up. 
poor people, you know, you say, well, why wouldn't it be right for them to worry if they don't know where their next food, food meal is coming from or where they're going to sleep or they don't have a shirt on their back? But that's exactly what the Lord is saying here. He's saying, you know what? I want to give you freedom from that anxiety because I promise to take care of you as my children. Now, throughout this Sermon on the Mount, throughout our study through Matthew, the Lord has been basically laying down a standard that was uncommon to the people of the day. See, they took God's law, they took God's word, and they brought it down to their level, and they said, okay, well, God's word says this, but you know what? Let's invent some things that we can just kind of practically do or not do so that we know we're keeping or not keeping God's word. So it says, honor the Sabbath. So that wasn't good enough for them. So they said, well, you know, you can't pick up a pencil and carry it three feet or you've broken the Sabbath. You can carry it two and a half feet, but you can't carry it three feet or whatever the silly rules were. And in their mind, when they would do those things, those menial things that God's word doesn't even speak about, basically what would happen is they would feel good about themselves. They would feel self-righteous because they were keeping God's word. And Jesus came along and he said, look, you guys have taken God's word and you turned it upside down. You made it into something that wasn't meant to be. And so he had to come in and, and kind of reiterate the divine standard of God's law. And he gave them a divine standard regarding themselves, regarding the world, regarding God's law, regarding moral issues, regarding the religious worship. We talked about giving. We talked about praying. We talked about fasting. And in these verses, he's talking about money. He's talking about possessions. And so throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord is giving the categories where God wants to speak to us on that particular issue. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. God has something to say about your attitudes, something to say about your commitment to the word, something to say about your religious activity, something to say about your moral values. He has something to say about your money and your possessions. And he has something to say about your prayer life and so forth. And so he sweeps through all these subjects. And right here, he's touching particularly on the necessities of life. Some may say, well, you know what? I read verses 19 to 24, and it says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Just lay it up in heaven. Don't serve money. Serve God. Someone else might say, well, what about the future? Shouldn't, shouldn't we, you know, plan? And are you saying just live day to day? See, we believe in wise planning because the Bible gives several illustrations of that. But if you have trouble trusting the Lord for your future... The Lord says, don't worry about that. I'm going to take care of that. Whatever it is, I'm going to take care of that. And God says that very clearly in his word. So let's look at the word here and and see what he says in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. First of all, he gives us a general principle. And we're not going to get all through this today because of our communion time and stuff. So we'll go for a few moments here and and then we'll have our, our time around the Lord's table. But he begins in verse 25 with the command. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not what? Worry. It's very clear. It just basically throws it out there. Do not worry. And the phrase is repeated down in verse 31. He says, do not worry again. In verse 34, do not worry. And they're all kind of the theme of this passage has to deal with anxiety. It has to deal with worry. 
Now, it's interesting because in the original language, you know what the word worry means? Worry. (laughs) It means don't worry. That's what it means. Okay? And in verse 25, the Greek tense is very kind of unique in and of itself because what it's doing, it's assuming that we're doing this. And he's saying, stop worrying. It's a given that you're doing it. Stop it. It's very strong. But it's different when he comes down to verse 31. Because he says, therefore, in, in verse 31, he says, therefore, do not worry. And there, what he's saying is basically, don't start worrying. <laughs> if, if you're not worrying now, don't start worrying about tomorrow. So if you are worrying right now, quit it. Stop it. That's the Lord's word for you this morning. Just stop it. If you're not worrying, don't start. Well, what do we worry about? Well, he says there in verse 25, Therefore, do not worry about what? Your life. Don't worry about your life. It has to do with the fullness of of earthly physical external life. Don't be anxious about this temporal place we live in, the earthly world, the eating, the drinking, the clothing, the housing. And if you've already started to worry in that area, stop it. That's kind of what we're concerned about. I mean, do you ever worry about heaven? I don't. What do we worry about? We worry about things down here, things we can put our hands on. And it's interesting that when he starts this in verse 25, he says, therefore, and in Bible school, they always teach you, whenever you see a word, therefore, see why it's therefore. And so what it means is you've got to go back because he's made a statement. And the statement he made is what we talked about last week. You have two kinds of riches, two kinds of hearts, two kinds of masters. You've got to make a choice. Where's your heart going to be? Is it going to be focused on this world and its goods, or is it going to be focused on the Lord and heaven? To sum up what we talked about last week, since earthly treasures corrupt you, since earthly treasures tend to kind of just keep your vision here on earth, and they draw you away from God and, and toward worshiping money itself, he says, don't worry about those kind of things. That's his point. That shouldn't be our preoccupation. If you're a child of God, you have a single goal. If you're truly a believer here this morning, your single goal is what? Treasure in heaven. And your heart should be focused on one thing, God's purposes. And you should be serving one master, him. Not your own agenda, not your career, not your family, not your money. You should be serving him. And what he's trying to say is, you know what? I mean, yeah, you've got to deal with these things because they're, they're practical things in our lives. He's not saying, you know, sell everything you have and go live on top of a mountain and eat, you know, honey and locusts. I mean, that's not what he's saying. He says what you will eat or what you will drink or what you, you're about your body, what you will put on. How many of you woke, woke up this morning and you worried about what you were going to eat, 
what you were going to drink or what you were going to put on. Well, maybe some of you, the last one, what you were going to put on. But it's not because you didn't have anything to put on. You were just trying to decide which one to put on. So we don't relate to that very well today in our society because we have everything pretty much we need. I mean, there's a supermarket almost on every block. We've got a lot of water, even though they're charging us a lot of money for it. (laughs) Why would we worry about that? I mean, I go up to the faucet and I turn the thing, you know, I don't, I hope the water comes out today. I mean, maybe you lived through a day and an age where that was, that was the case. I mean, there was a day in our society where many people, and there probably still are people around today, obviously, that, that deal with this on a daily basis. But for the majority of people living in the United States of America, they don't worry about these kind of things. Now, you've got to put yourself back when Jesus was talking and whom he, to whom he was talking to. He was back in that time in, in, in Israel there when all these things were a concern. Because if the snows didn't come, then the result would be, you know what, the, the streams didn't have any water. It could be a hot summer and burn everything up that was supposed to be the harvest. There were crops that didn't come through because maybe a plague of locusts came through. And so when the crops didn't come through, there was famine in the land. And when there was famine in the land, there wasn't any harvesting, there wasn't any income, there wasn't any money to purchase clothing. You can see how this would snowball real quick. We see it to a lesser degree even today in our society with all the crazy economic things that are going on. And so when he spoke these words, hey, don't worry about this. These people probably thought, what are you talking about? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or what we're going to wear. See, Picture yourself on the edge of a parched desert, not knowing where your next meal was coming from, totally dependent upon the natural resources around you. That would be a very shocking statement if somebody, oh, don't worry about it. It's like after your house burns down, the neighbor comes over and goes, oh, you got insurance? Oh, good. (laughs) You know, yeah, I got insurance, but my whole house just burned down. And he says, there is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. In other words, is that all there is to life? See, that's what we put our value in as human beings. Most people in our world are totally consumed with our bodies. One commentator wrote this. We decorate it. We fix it up. We clothe it. We take care of it. We put it in a nice car. We send it off to a nice house. We stuff it full of nice food. We sit it in a nice comfortable chair. We hang a bunch of jewelry all over it. We take it out on a boat. Let it swim. Teach it to ski. Take it on a cruise. Feed that body. (laughs) See, that's where the way most people live. It's centered around our body. Well, what he's saying here is, hey, the body isn't everything. 
Life is not contained solely in the body. Life is contained in the very nature of God. I live not because my body lives, but because God lives. He gives my body life to live. Life is more than the body. It's more than food. It's more than clothes. That's a hard sell in our society today. People don't get that. And he gives us here three reasons, basically, why we shouldn't worry. In verses 26 to 32 and then in verse 34. First one we want to look at tonight. It's unnecessary. Worrying, anxiety is unnecessary because of who your father is. Because of who your father is. Don't worry about the basics of life, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear because of your father. And I think a lot of believers today have forgotten who their father is. I remember when we were raising up Crystal and she was living with us at home and, and, and everything through junior high, grade school, junior high, high school. I can't remember ever her waking up going, what are we going to eat today? I don't have anything to wear. Well, she said that, but like the same thing. <laughs> She had lots to wear. She just didn't, you know. I don't ever recall her saying, where are we going to be tonight? We don't have a roof over our head. She was never worried about her next meal. Why? Because kids don't worry about that, generally. They know they're going to have clothes. They know they're going to have food. They know they're going to have a bed, something to drink. Now, unfortunately, there are people, there are families in the world that don't have those things. But I'm talking about the majority here. That never even enters their mind. It's just expected. And as if human fathers, we provide for our kids in that way, how much more and how much more faithful is God to provide for us, his children? We don't even measure up to God at all in that level. read this little story this past week and it speaks of kind of not understanding the resources that we have that God has provided for us. There was this gentleman who he was in a mall one day and he read this pamphlet on cruises and he wanted to go on a cruise. He was poor, didn't have a lot of money and so he took basically years of his life and live without, so that he could save enough money to go on a cruise. He just wanted to get on this big boat and go see all the sights with all the people. And he had to save his money, and, 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 and eventually the day came when he could achieve his dream. And he walked into the travel agent, and he bought his ticket for the cruise. And he got home, and he realized, you know, I spent so much on this ticket, I don't have any money left for food but at least I can go on this cruise and, you know, have a good time and, and maybe the sights and everything. So he decided to take some peanut butter and a loaf of bread on the cruise with him. And he gets on the boat and, you know, meal, dinner, bell rings, and he runs to his, his little bunkhouse there, his room, gets out the peanut butter and, making his sandwiches because he didn't have any money to go buy the food. And he did that for a couple days and he just couldn't take it anymore. 
He just got sick of eating peanut butter and bread and watching all these people just gorge themselves. So he went up to one of the porters and he said, you know, how, how, how do I get to eat? Uh, where can I buy some food? I need to get some real food. And the porter looked at him and said, well, do you have a ticket for the cruise? And the gentleman said, well, yeah, I got a ticket. I'm here. Oh, well, all the food's included. See, sometimes, sometimes that's how we live our Christian life. We forget that, you know what? God includes things. We don't have to worry about some things. You can eat all you want. Your food's included with your ticket. I mean, that kind of sounds humorous or it may sound sad depending on your perspective. But that's how we live a lot of times. We're like the man in the story when it comes to understanding and living by God's grace. I mean, people in our society, we worry about everything. We worry about how we look, what we wear, how much money we have in the bank, rising cost of gas, falling stock prices. We worry about foreclosures. Our children going to turn out right? They're going to the army. We worry about our health. We worry about whether our job will be eliminated due to downsizing. We worry about who we're going to marry. We're going to worry about, well, will our marriage last? We worry about all sorts of things. And all that worry, all that anxiety has a tendency to hit us in the area of health. It causes sleeplessness. It causes tension, headaches, irritability, high blood pressure, ulcers, heart disease, inability to relax. See, and what has happened is it's been so unfortunate because Christians have joined the ranks of those who worry and fret about everything. And it's okay. We have taken this cue from the world around us. It's closed in around us. And we just said, well, I guess this is what we do. We worry. We've allowed Satan to defeat us and cause us to stumble. And instead of trusting in the power and the provision and the protection and the providence of a sovereign God, we have grown used to basically just living anxiety-plagued lives. In James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, James makes it clear, makes it clear about worry, about anxiety. He says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? You lust, you do not have, you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. See, as Christians, they fear and they hoard their finances and the work of the church, the work of missionaries around the world, the work of evangelism in this world, it's hindered. Because we're so worried that one day we won't have anything. We've got to put everything in the storehouse. And Jesus is saying, hey, you shouldn't be worrying about those kind of things. I promise to take care of you. Either you take me at my, at your word, at, at my word or you don't. He gives us three illustrations here in, in our text. The first one is food. One is from food, one deals with our future, and one deals with fashion or clothes. He says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
Can't you see Jesus teaching up on the hills outside Galilee there? And, and you know, that area is known to be kind of a crossing point for the migration of birds. And so maybe some birds flew over and he says, look at the birds in the air. I mean, that's how Jesus taught. And he probably saw a flock of birds going by. And he said, you know what? I mean, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. Every bird that lives in this world lives because God gave it life. And when God gives birds life, he doesn't say, okay, I gave you life, the rest is up to you. <laughs> you got to figure out how to continue to live. He doesn't do that. Birds don't get together and say, hey, we got to come up with a strategy. we got to come up with a plan to keep ourselves alive. Birds don't do that. Birds have no self-consciousness. They have no cognitive process. They have no ability to reason. But God has planted something within birds, something called instinct, so that they have this divine capacity to find whatever is necessary to live. And so God doesn't just create life. He sustains life. In Job 38, 41, it says, Who provides food for the raven when its young ones cry out to God? In other words, the little birds actually look to God, the creator, for their food. It's God, the creator, who gave the mother the instinct to bring the food. It's God, the creator, who gave the mother the instinct to build the nest and to migrate to the new area at the exact precise time. Psalm 147, verse 9 says, To the young ravens which cry out, he gives food. See, God feeds the birds through the process of their own instinct, which the Bible calls that crying out to God. That's the way he's created them. That's the way he's geared them. So if God is going to take care of some irrational bird who cries out to him through their instinct, don't you think God will take care of his own children? That's his point. And that's what he points out. He says, are you much better than they? Aren't you much better than they? Arthur Pink wrote this. He said, here we may see how the irrational creatures made subject to vanity by the sin of man come nearer to their first estate and better observe the order of nature in their creation than man does. For they seek only for that which God has provided for them. And when they receive it, they are content. This solemnly demonstrates that man is more corrupt than all other creatures, more vile and base than even the brute beasts. God takes care of the birds. And what Jesus' point is, don't you think he was going to take care of you if you're his child, if he created you in his image? He says there, they neither sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Now, some of you may be saying, oh, that must mean that I just go home and kick back in the lounge chair and open my mouth and worms are going to drop in from heaven. No, I've never seen it rain worms. It just doesn't happen. God feeds birds through their instincts. He gives them the ability to go out and, and find what they need to eat. This is an excuse for laziness 
or idleness. They're busy searching. They're gobbling up insects and worms and all sorts of things. You hungry yet? Okay. They, they catch their young and they, or they, you know, they show their young. They care for their young. They teach them how to fly. They do all that. It's all based on instinct. They never overdo it. They never sit around going, you know, are you getting tired of this, this, this little uh, nest we got here? I think we need to expand. We need to upgrade. They never say, I'm going to store more worms. They never say to themselves, eat, drink, be merry. <laughs> See, within the framework of God's design for them, they never overindulge themselves. Birds only get fat when people feed them too much, when they're put in cages. See, we're the ones that have the tendency to continually stockpile and hoard things. Birds don't worry about where they're going to find the food. They just fly and they find it. God provides it. Birds have no reason to worry. So if they don't, what are we worrying for? Are you not much more valuable than them? That's what he says. Do you know that no bird was ever created in the image of Christ? No bird was ever made in the image of God. No bird was ever designed to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ throughout eternity. No bird was ever prepared a place in heaven in the Father's house. If God sustains the life of this little bird, don't you think he'll take care of you? That's what he's saying. Life is a gift from God. If God gives you the greater gift, which is life, don't you think he will give you the lesser gift, which is just being sustained by food? So don't worry about it. Martin Luther said, God wants nothing to do with the lazy, gluttonous bellies who are neither concerned nor busy. They act as if they had to sit and wait for him to drop a roasted goose into their mouth. See, God gives us life and he gives us the ability to sustain it. He provides for us. And sometimes that's through effort. We need to work. That's just what we do. People say, well, why are there so many starving people in the world? Well, in a lot of those countries, they have such a mixed up religion. They won't eat the food that God's given them because of their own religious beliefs. They believe they're idols or they believe they're reincarnate, whatever, grandmother, whatever it is. And so they won't, they won't eat certain things. Okay. I mean, it's, 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 it's sad in a way. So you have some of these these, these countries with 35, 40, 50% of their, their, their food source is off limits due to their pagan beliefs. That somehow rats are holy or cows are holy or whatever. There's plenty of food and God will provide as we're faithful to believe his, world, his word. So you should never worry about food. He uses that illustration. He covers it very clearly. Secondly, verse 27, he says... Which of you can, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, you shouldn't worry about your future either. A cubit basically is a distance from your elbow to the tip of your finger. 
usually about 18 inches. Now look at what he's saying. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Now, do you think he means literally adding 18 inches to your height? No. He's not talking about that. It's kind of a poor translation for that word stature. It really has the idea of the span of life. It really has the idea, what he's saying is, which of you by worrying can add one day to your life? Talking about the length of your life. That's what he's talking about. Not the height of your body. Not only will you not lengthen your life by worrying, most likely you'll probably shorten it (laughs) because of the physical implications. I mean, we, we live in a day when people are just in a, in a uh, craze to lengthen their life. There's, there's people that want to just continue to live. I mean, we all want to live as long as, as God gives us. But, I mean, we're so wacky about vitamins and health spas and exercise and all this stuff. And it's like we've taken the human body and we've turned it into this idol. Now, should we take care of our bodies? Definitely. Should we eat healthy? Sure. But the word of God clearly tells us that God has determined the times of not only the nations, but our lives. He's already determined that. He's designed how long you're going to live. Am I saying that exercise is useless or it's wrong? No, obviously. We, like I said, I mean, I think... We, we stay in shape and then hopefully it helps us work better. It helps us think better. It helps us live a more fuller life, you might say. But don't kid yourself. Just because you're going to the gym seven days a week for a couple hours, that you think somehow you're going to squeeze one more day out of God than what he's allotted for you to live. It doesn't work that way. See people that pass away all the time. Oh, they're a marathon runner, you know. All this stuff. And you see people on the other thing, it's like, man, they abuse their body to sick levels. I think of my brother Bob, and, you know, we always joke as a family, like, I don't know how this guy is continuing another day. I finally caught up with him. But, I mean, I mean, ask my wife. You know, he'd come and visit, and, you know, he'd be in the, in the, in the bed before bedtime, you know, eating candy and all sorts of things, ice cream and... You know, just, I mean, he just didn't eat good food. But you know what? Just because he did that didn't mean he died earlier than what God has allotted. We don't want to die. We want to live longer and longer and longer and longer. That's kind of what is in our system. And so then we tend to worry about things like that. And we have to stop and say, you know what? God already has the day I'm going to die. He has the time. He has the way. Everything. So we just need to work it out day by day and live each day to the fullest. Use for his glory. Charles Mayo, the Mayo Clinic said, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I have never known a man, I like this, to die of overwork. But many have died of worry. <laughs> See, you, can't, you can worry yourself to death. 
but you can never worry yourself to life. And yet that's what people try to do. Last week, I was telling Terry after the service that you know, once in a while when I, Sunday mornings, for whatever reason, I don't know, just physically, I get these kind of, <clears throat> call them panic attacks or whatever they're called. I, I don't view them as that because I'm not really nervous about anything. But, um, and, and he said, well, sometimes your heart just it starts racing. And I said, yeah, that's what it feels like. And you start sweating and you feel like you, you, know, you get kind of dizzy sometimes and stuff. Well, that's how I felt all last week. And so I was telling him after the service, I just felt really weird. And, um, uh, you know, and he said, well, you know, I go to the doctor and he says, well, you're anxious, you're, it's anxiety about something. I said, well, I don't know. Because I, 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 I truly don't worry about a lot of things. I mean, you can ask my wife. I usually sleep through the night and, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, I don't, I don't worry about a lot of things. And so it's just something physiological in my body that causes to do that. But I know, I can't imagine being worrying and worrying yourself sick. I mean, I have no control over that. But if I had control over it, I would stop it. The first point is worry is unnecessary because of who our Father is. He gives an illustration about food. He gives an illustration about future, about the length of life. And then the last thing he talks about, ladies, is clothes, fashion. Okay? Um, There's a lot of people who just live for their clothes. That's all they live for. And that's what he says in verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? See, if you were really poor in that day and age and you had, didn't have proper resources, you, know, you probably didn't have very nice clothes. But today, I mean, people live for clothes. It's amazing to me. I remember before I was married, the ladies in the church over at First Baptist Church, Hassan remembers, they always used to make fun of me because the way I dressed or whatever on Sunday because I, you know, I was colorblind. But, but, you know, so I remember this one dear lady, Mrs. Hobbs, she goes, you know, we're going to go buy you some clothes. We're going to take you to the clothing store. So she took me over to Mervyn's or wherever it was and, and uh, you know, gave us some money. And she goes, well, what do you want? I said, I don't, I don't really care. Buy whatever you think looks good, whatever. And it's just kind of funny because we get into this whole thing of, you know, we've made such a big deal. Now, I'm not saying look like, you know, come to church dressed in a sack. But on the other hand, you know, don't, don't over-prioritize it. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. Now, do we want to look our, our, our best for the Lord and things like that? Yeah, does that mean you have to wear a suit? No. Okay, it has nothing to do with that. You know, um, you're going to come here in a... In, you know, little running shorts or whatever? Probably not. That wouldn't be appropriate, okay? So we're not, you know, it's not talking about that. But what he's saying is stop worrying about these things. It just is our total focus today. And he he turns it over to the illustration of the flowers. He says, look at the lilies of the field. And this is just a general term, a general term for, for kind of field flowers, the ones you see growing alongside of the freeway. He says, you know what? They They grow, they don't toil, they don't spin. You know, they don't, they don't hang out one day and say, hey, today I'm, I'm red, tomorrow maybe I'll be blue. You know, they, they don't care about that stuff. I mean, you know today that you can actually go to a person and they will have you fill out a thing and interview you and say, okay, here's your color. This is what you should wear because this would bring out the, your hair or whatever you don't have any hair, but the, the eyes or whatever it might be. I wonder what they do with, with bald guys. I don't know. 
that kind of the equation is thrown out the window, so I don't know. But, you know, and, and all is Jesus is saying, you know what, don't carry it to this level. Don't worry about it to that point of view. Because he says, you know what, I mean, you can dress up yourself in the finest of clothes and you don't even come close to what God did through his creation. Have you ever looked at a, at a flower? Have you ever had the opportunity to look at a rose petal under a microscope and see the structure and see the cells? I mean, it's amazing. The color. And it's all God. That's what God did. And that's what he says. And yet you, you say that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. It's not about what you wear. It's not about what you have on. Don't worry about that. You know, one thing we need to, we need to do, beloved, is stop this, this anxiety, this, this worry that we have. And the only way you can do it, it's not going home and saying, okay, he said I'd stop, I'm just going to stop. No, you can't do that. You have to stop because of your view of who God is. Either you believe God will care for you and he will fulfill his promise in your life or you believe he won't. Either you're going to doubt him or you're going to believe him. If you believe him, then what Jesus is saying, what are you worrying about? Don't you think God knows the future? Don't you think God knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Don't you think God knows what it's going to take to get you through the next day? He does. And he'll give you the grace to do it if you trust him. But if you allow worry to paralyze you to the point where you're no good to anybody, what good is that? Just allowing the enemy to have his way in your life. So Jesus says, you know what? Stop it. If you're worrying, stop it. If you're not worrying, don't start. Close with this little poem says this, said the wildflower to the sparrow. I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the wildflower, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Father, we pray this morning that you would teach us the lesson that you have before us dealing with worry. Father, that you would show us clearly in your word, and you have, that it's unnecessary because of who you are. You're our Father. You're our Heavenly Father. You promise to care for us. You promise to meet our needs. Lord, there's not one thing that we're going to add to our life by worrying about something. And yet it's so easy for us. We fall into it so many times. Lord, we need to stop. We need to call it for what it is, sin. We need to repent. And we need to turn our heart to you. And we need to to really trust you with whatever worries us. Because, Father, you do that work in our lives and we thank you for it. Father, we pray that you prepare our hearts for our communion time this morning. Lord, I ask that you would... uh, Just show us personally what you've done on our behalf through Christ. Lord, we come to this table and these are elements, a cracker and some grape juice, but Lord, they represent so much more. They represent the atonement. They represent the suffering that you went through. And Lord, you did all that so that we could have life eternal. 
that we could count you as our Father, that we could call you our Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives. And, Lord, we pray that you would just bless each one here this morning. If there's somebody here who doesn't know you, hasn't put their faith or trust in you, Lord, I ask that you would do that work in their heart, that you would strip away the unbelief and replace it with faith that only comes from you. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.